You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Eddie Tilly. All right, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Woo, man, that's what I'm talking about. Y'all are ready. Y'all are ready to say goodbye to 2023. Hello, 2024. Yes, 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 yes. Um, well, so good to have you guys here with us this morning. Um, if, you're, if you're new to Cathedral, my name is Eddie Tilly. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Um, and we just finished with an incredible Christmas Eve production, which is not only all over this stage, it's all over every room in the church. Just go walk around the church, and it just looks like Christmas Eve just threw up everywhere. It's just wonderful. You can relive some of those moments and some of those experiences. It's just it's so awesome. Um, so we are wrapping up... Um, 2023, headed into 2024. I can't go any further without just talking about how fun this was. You know, obviously we're having one service, right? So in this service are our 11 o'clockers, obviously, because it's the 11 o'clock service. There you go, 11 o'clockers. Yeah, there you go. But we also have some 9 o'clockers. Hence the problem. So what the 11 o'clockers underestimated is, see, the 9 o'clockers, them folks are in here and in their seats at 845. That's how they function. That's how they operate. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not touting some of you 11 o'clockers, but I know y'all kind of like to, you know, just skate right on in here right around 11 o'clock, 11.05, you know, something like that. So the looks on the faces when y'all came in, it's like, wait, what? That's, those are my seats right there. That's, that's the section me and my family sit in. I'm like, boy, the 9 o'clock that took y'all out. I mean, they strategically... Got here early enough to get their seats, so, but thank you all for being the wonderful, kind, and gracious church that you are, and you have accommodated everybody as best you can, um, so it was just funny to watch. I just loved watching it. Um, so you guys received this sheet of paper when you came through the door. If you didn't get one when you came through the door, you could get one on your way out. Good morning to our online crowd, by the way. I'm sure we have a huge online crowd this morning. Uh, and this is all about our 21 days of prayer and fasting. So that starts tomorrow, January 1. Now here's what I know. There are some people in here, I would, I would venture to say there's about three groups of people. One is you know exactly what 21 days of prayer and fasting is. You've done it with us before. You're excited about it. You're looking forward to it. And tomorrow morning, first thing, bam, you're rocking and rolling. 21 days of prayer and fasting. That's group number one. God bless you. I'm not in that group. <laughs> group number two is you know all about 21 days of prayer and fasting. You know exactly what it is. You're excited about it. You're anticipating You are ready to start, but you are not starting on January 1st. That's the group I'm in because it's college football. It's, it's summer sausage and cheddar cheese on a Ritz cracker. I mean, there's just, there's just so many nuances about New Year's Day. And, and I would love to claim that I'm some super spiritual Christian, but I'm going to claim that I am because I don't have to start on January 1st, dadgummit. You know, I can, I can start a day or two later. Then there's a third group. You have no idea what I'm talking about when I say we're about to enter into 21 days of prayer and fasting. And to be quite honest, you're a little bit freaked out right now. Totally okay. Just relax. Take it easy. This sheet, which is phenomenal, I don't know who here put this together, but it is amazing. It tells you exactly what the 21 days of prayer and fasting is, who it's for, how to participate, all that. So I don't need to go over any of that other than to say this, and I'll try to remember to say it at the end of service too. 
During the 21 days of prayer and fasting, we hold um, early morning prayer from 6.30 to 7.30 right here in the auditorium, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. But not tomorrow. Tomorrow is New Year's Day. All right, we are going to send a video out by social media to kick it off. I will absolutely participate with that, and I will participate with the prayer focus of the day, but we will not have on-campus prayer tomorrow. We'll start that Tuesday morning. All right, so here we go. We are going to look at prayer and fasting, and I figured the best way to do that, how do we maximize 21 days of prayer and fasting, and what is fasting even about? And to me, the best way to do that is like, well, let's just look at what Jesus did. Because Jesus, his life is the example for our life. And I love when you look at his fasting experience for a couple of reasons. One, what I love is the timing of everything. So I don't know if a lot of people realize that Jesus was 30 years old before he launched his ministry. So he launched his ministry at the age of 30, and that ministry would only last for about three and a half years. So what he was able to do in three and a half years through 12 men and, and many women that surrounded him has impacted the world forever. And so he was 30 when he launched his ministry, and he did two things. The first two things he did, number one, was he was baptized in water. We have a water baptism that is coming up at the end of the 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're going to do that during our celebration service. So if you would like to be water baptized, you can see on the screen how you can sign up for that and how you can get information. But Jesus himself started his ministry by being water baptized, which then he commands us to do. Part of his last words that he said to us was, hey, go out there and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's what we do as believers and as a church. Then the second thing he did was he immediately went out and went on a fast. And so that's what we're going to look at today because, again, I can't think of any better way than to follow his example. So I'm going to look at the example. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'm going to read for you the entire passage out of Matthew. It's chapter 4, the first 11 verses. And then we're going to walk through it kind of slowly. So let me read the whole thing to you first, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. And at the end of the um, passage in Luke, it says the devil left him until the next opportunity arose. So he's always looking for a next opportunity. So let's bow our heads for just a moment and pray, and then we'll dive in. 
Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is alive and living. And when we hear it, when we take it into our hearts, it does something in us. It does a work in us if we just release our faith and put our trust in you. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to be with us this morning as we dive into your word. Lord, inspire us. Father, give us wisdom and understanding. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we dedicate this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first thing to notice, we're going to break this down going about two to three verses at a time. Um, I'm not going to read back through it all, but they'll put the verses we're talking about up there on the screen. And the first one are the first two verses, Matthew 4, 1 and 2. And what you see in these verses, which is really profound, this is why you really need to slow down and think about what you're reading. What you see in the first two verses is when Jesus launched his ministry, he came up out of that baptism water, he was led by God to a lonely place to face the devil alone. Led by God into a lonely place for the purpose of facing the devil alone. Those types of things are very important for you and I to understand. And so when I was reading through this, I thought, you know, there's probably about three different types of loneliness, and I just want to go through those real quick. The first, because Jesus experienced all of them, the first one is physical loneliness. So God led him to a physically lonely place. He literally went out into the wilderness. He didn't go to the Ritz-Carlton. He didn't go rent a cabin, you know, up in Newberry or anything like that. He went out into the wilderness. No shelter, no food, just him and the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And you see that it was hard, right? Because it says he became very hungry. So it wasn't like, you know, he was like, oh, man, I can't wait to go and not eat for 40 days. It's going to be awesome. No, I mean, it was hard. It was something very hard for him to do. But that that is a physical loneliness. The next loneliness is an emotional loneliness. And this is one that I think we overlook a lot of times. What do I mean by emotionally lonely? Well, emotionally lonely means you can be surrounded by friends and family that love you and cheer you on and support you and still be lonely. And quite honestly, for all of us, we have those lonely places in our life. And a lot of times, they tie into what it is that God has called us to do. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus is launching a ministry in which as soon as he gets done with this fast, he's going to go choose 12 men to be his disciples. Those men will be by his side faithfully until the crucifixion for three and a half years. But their get it factor Their understanding of what Jesus is carrying about the burden that God has placed on him, the call that God has put on his life, is next to nothing. They really don't get it. And they won't get it until after the resurrection. After the resurrection, they can look back and say, oh my gosh, now I see. But they didn't get it in the moment. So even for Jesus, there is this loneliness factor that yes, they love me. Yes, they support me. They're cheering me on. But they, they really don't understand. And we can look at that in all different facets of our life. We can look at that in parenthood. There's levels of emotions that go on between mothers and children that fathers just can't quite grasp. We just don't quite understand. And it's the same for fathers that mothers just don't quite get what it is we carry as fathers for our children. It's an emotional loneliness. You could even even take it down as far as, let's just use the church for example. A lot of you are here this morning. Some of you, your participation may be that you come to your 9 or 11 o'clock service and you participate uh, and then you go home. Well, there's a whole group of people here. We call them volunteers. 
And they help make these services happen. Lots of them, over a hundred every single Sunday that it takes to make the service happen. Now, you can appreciate what they do as a congregant, as somebody who comes and enjoys the service. You can be thankful that they are giving their time and their energy, but there's a certain get-it factor that you can't understand of a sacrifice that they're carrying, of a call that God has placed on their life. But it doesn't stop there because all the volunteers, they have ministry leaders. And the volunteers love their ministry leaders and they support their ministry leaders and they pray for their ministry leaders and they want to do the best and make it as easy as they can. But as much as they love them and support them, they still can't quite understand some places in this ministry leader of the burden that they're carrying in leading a ministry full of people. Bump it up another notch. And now you've got pastors who are over the ministry leaders. And it's the same thing. The ministry leaders love their pastors. They pray for them. They support them. They do everything they can to make the pastor's job easy. But to a degree, they can't appreciate and know the burden that a pastor is carrying. Take it one more step. Let's take myself as an example. I'm an associate pastor here at Cathedral. We have four lead pastors. I love our lead pastors. They're amazing. They're wonderful. They're awesome. I do everything I can to make their jobs as easy as I possibly can. But what I know full good and well is I don't really understand what it's like to carry the burden of being a lead pastor. Now, I don't know what that burden is in you. It could be being a full-time caregiver. It could be possibly being the only person in your family who is a believer in Christ. I don't know what it is. It could be that at your workplace you're the only Christian. My point is everybody has a place, at least one if not more. And that place, that emotionally lonely place that even Jesus himself experienced is designed and can only be filled by one person. And it's Christ. For Jesus, God filled that place. And Jesus, and God led Jesus out into the wilderness to experience the physical loneliness, to experience the emotional loneliness, and the third loneliness I want to mention that Jesus won't experience for another three and a half years is spiritual loneliness. That is the worst of all. There is nothing worse than spiritually feeling like you are alone. Now you think about it, Jesus had been with God from the very beginning. We tend to think of Jesus as his life from a baby, but the word clearly says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him, God created everything. And without him, nothing was created that has been created. In other words, Jesus has been in existence since God has been in existence. And he's never not been in the presence of God. Never, ever felt spiritually abandoned or alone. Until one moment on the cross for you and I. There came a moment when Jesus was on the cross. That in order to open the door to heaven for you and I. God had to place all the sin of the world of all time. Beginning to end on his son. And when he did that he could not be in the presence of his son. He could not be in the presence of that sin. And he withdrew his presence. And when he did, Jesus cried out in agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then shortly after that, he breathed his last. He felt it. He had to feel it. He had to understand. He had to know what he was giving his life for and what he was opening up for you and I. And the beauty of what Jesus did is that you and I don't ever have to be spiritually alone. If you're in here and you've never asked Christ to come into your life, it's just as simple as saying, 
I believe in Jesus. I do believe he's the son of God. And I believe he died on that cross for me. And then just ask him to come into your life. Say, Lord, I don't deserve it. I've done so much in my life, but please forgive me and just come into my life. And the moment you do that, you are saved. You know, a lot of times at the end of service, we'll do the, hey, raise your hand. We'll all pray to pray together. And that's wonderful and I love it. But I need to say to you today, you don't have to wait for that. You can do it right now. Under your breath, sitting in your seat, this very moment, you can say those words. And according to the Bible, you will be saved. So those are the three types of loneliness. And, and I, the thing I love about it is Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, he addresses that loneliness. Not, not just the spiritual loneliness, but the emotional loneliness. He says, come to me all you who are heavy, you know, weary, heavy burden, and I will give you rest. A lot of translations say rest for your soul, because your soul is where the emotions are. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, yes, you have a burden, but my burden is easy and my yoke is light if you'll just let me walk through it with you. Because to a degree, your wife is not going to understand, your husband is not going to understand, your friends are not going to understand, your parents are not going to understand. There are some things in your life, burdens that I have given you to carry, and I know full well nobody else understands, but I do. And I want you to feel my peace. I don't want it to cause you worry or fear and anxiety. I want you to walk this mission out that I have given you in total peace. And he gives us that promise. So that's the first two verses. Now we're going to launch into the rest of it. And what I love about the rest of it is now we see the other thing. So fasting is hard by itself. Okay, we'll just get that out there. Whether you're going to stop eating food or whatever you're going to do, we'll talk about that at the end of the message. But fasting is hard. And it would be very hard in and of itself. But when you fast, you don't fast alone. When you fast, there is an enemy of your soul, a supernatural enemy, and he hates, hates when you do anything to try to get closer to God. He knew that's what Jesus was doing, and he came to Jesus. But what I love about what Jesus does is Jesus lays it all out for us. Keep that in mind now. This account of Jesus in the wilderness with the devil came from Jesus himself. He hadn't even picked disciples yet. There's no disciples. Nobody was there watching this unfold and writing it down. This had to have come from Jesus sitting with his disciples and saying, let me tell you what happened when I went out into the wilderness and relaying this to them, and they recorded it. So I love that he gives it to us because he gives us insight because the enemy is the same tactics all the time. So the same thing he uses with Jesus, he'll use with you. So we're going to look at verses 3 and 4, which immediately Satan comes in and says, Woo, Bubba, I can tell you are hungry. I can see it, man. You're wanting a piece of pizza so bad. Man, you're wanting a piece of that fried chicken. Oh, that big juicy steak. You're wanting this. I can see it. You know what? Just go on and do it. That's okay. You're a child of God. God loves you. He's okay with it. Just go on. Don't think for a second he's not going to come at you. That's what he does. He comes at us. And here's what I want to ask you. Beyond what he comes to tempt you with your hungers is what Jesus said. Jesus said, no, no, because, see, you're addressing food. What I know the word says is man doesn't live by bread alone. So my question to you is what are you consuming on a daily basis? Because you are what you eat. So what are you consuming? And I'm not talking about food. I'm talking about with your mind, with your heart. If you just wake up every morning and turn on the radio or the television, I know what you're consuming. Fear, dread, worry, anxiety, violence. There's not a media source out there that says, hey, let's go find all the good stuff that happened today. Let's cheer some people up. No, no, no. 
they will find the most minuscule thing that somebody evil or wicked did in the most remotest part of the world and then elevate it like it's happening everywhere. Everywhere. People are dying everywhere. They're just dropping dead all over the place. I don't know if it's ever, I mean, that's what you're going to get. And if that's all you consume, that's what's going to begin to manifest in you. So it's totally okay to stay informed. I encourage you to stay informed. But then you got to come here. you got to come to the Word of God. See, I get excited when I see how crazy the world is right now. Because according to this Word, things aren't getting any better. And they're not going to get any better. So that can either put fear in you, or you can say, oh, man, we're almost there. We're almost there. What almost there means is we're almost to the end. And at the end, all evil, wickedness, all, all that's done away with forever. We win, we live forever, never ever again have to deal with any of that. So this should get you excited. In the early church, what they were looking forward to was the return of Jesus. That's what we need to be looking forward to. You need to understand that, that when, when the medical community is getting out there and going, oh my gosh, we've got RSV. There's RSV, it's everywhere. Oh my, it's, it's everywhere. Okay, everybody line up, we need to get vaccinated against the RSV. Y'all do realize RSV has always been around, right? If you have somebody medical in your family, ask them, say, hey, what's this new thing called RSV? They're going to look at you like you're crazy. There's nothing new about it. But we have some pharmaceutical companies that have some wonderful money-making opportunities. And if they can scare the fire out of you, then you will run out there and do those things to profit their pockets. It's an agenda. It's what the enemy is trying to do. And you can't let that stuff get into you. Don't let it in your mind. Don't let it in your heart. And if all you do is wake up every morning and click on that TV... Man, I mean, I, I, I hate that for you because I can't imagine what you must walk through through your day and what you experience. So, consume the word. Consume good stuff. Let God minister to you. Don't let this world have the final say-so in how your day is going to go, your week is going to go, your month is going to go, or your year is going to go. You let the word of God determine that for you. All right, next three verses, Matthew 4, 5 through 7. Here's the other thing you got to realize. The enemy knows the scripture just as well as you do. So tempting Jesus with food, tempting him with the desire to, hey, do what you want to do, didn't work. So he said, oh, he knows the word of God. Well, you know what? So do I. So he comes to him and says, hey, man, just jump off of this cliff right here. It's all cool because God said he's going to take care of you. You're not going to get hurt. Classic example of twisting God's word to fit your desires. And we can't do that. This is why you have to know the word. Look, just because I stand up here and say something, or Pastor Dave, or Luke, or Megan, or Macy, or Mike, any of us, just because we stand up here and say it, don't take that for the gospel. You go in there, you find out for yourself, because if you're just going to sit back and take what anybody says as the gospel, then you're going to hear things like this. Well, hey, the word of God says that he, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So, Really, at the end of the day, why do I even need to, to worry about my sin? Because he's just going to forgive me. So I can just go do what I want to do, right? As a matter of fact, it even says, where sin abounds, the grace of God abounds even more. So probably what I really ought to do is go out there and just sin like a wild man. See, if you don't know the scripture, you can somehow twist that to make sense. Or, or how about this one? He causes all things to work together for the good of those who are called according to their purposes. So what's the big deal if I just make my own choices and decisions based off of what I think? Why do I got to bring God into that? Because it doesn't matter because he's going to turn it all around and make it work out for my good anyway. It's a subtle. It's subtle. 
Now, see, if I was blatant about it, you say, oh, Eddie, I know that's... But see, there's a subtle way that the enemy comes at it. Probably the most twisted verse in the Bible is Jeremiah 29, 11. It's on every daggum college graduation card ever made in the face of man. For I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And people will take that and they will say, hey, man, if you're experiencing any kind of adversity or pain or resistance, that's not God. That's not God. Well, he led Jesus into a lonely place to face the devil alone. God doesn't make bad things happen to us. But he does use the bad things of this world to refine us. That's what he wants to do. He wants to refine us. And you and I are refined. You and I are strengthened in the adversity and the pain and the suffering. That's where our faith is strengthened. Anybody can have faith. If you've got all the money in the world, everything you could ever want or need, and no worries, that takes zero faith. Zero faith. That's why I can't stand the daggum prosperity gospel, because what you say in the prosperity gospel is, hey, man, if you've got enough faith, you're going to be prosperous. Have everything you ever want. I'm like, man, did you, have you looked at Jesus? Have you looked at the disciples, how they lived their life? You looked at my man Paul? And nothing prosperous about that man. One of the greatest men in the New Testament. The truth of the matter is, is do people make a lot of money and have riches? Absolutely. Anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's this subtle thing that the enemy can do to say, hey, if you've got enough of that, then you'll be okay. Let me take care of you. Let me give you enough money. Let me, let me give you enough things. Let me, let me give you these. That will make you okay. That's the subtle twist on it. There's nothing wrong with money, big houses, cars, nothing wrong with any of that. Unless there's something about it that you get your value from. Because now you rob the creator of his value in creating you. Amen? Amen. So, uh, it's, it's kind of like um, uh, me and my wife have a saying. Back in 2007, we had a situation um, where I was out of work. And I was out of work for a year. And I could not find a full-time job. I've never, ever not had a full-time job. Except for when I first started working at the age of 16 as a school bus driver. How many people want to let the school, school bus driver be 16? Back in the day, that's what we did. I don't know if we were more responsible back then or, or if adults just were crazy. I don't know. But the whole daggum school bus force was, was teenagers that went to high school. So anyway, but after that, once I entered the full-time workforce, I never didn't have a full-time job. And in 2007, I lost my job. And I was working three part-time jobs, and they were not making ends meet we were not making our bills but Susan and I would tell you the exact same phrase and we've used it many 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 times that 2007 was the best worst year of our life and it's true if you were to look at things from the outside bills weren't getting paid bill collectors were calling there was a lot of there was a lot of just you know pressure about what's due and what's coming due and what's coming right around the corner but if you could have stepped into our house with us and sat at our kitchen table, you would have saw a husband and wife that were leaning into God so hard. And God was speaking so faithfully that in the midst of all that, we had total peace. You know how it's going to work out? Nope. So how are you going to get it? Don't know. Are you going to get a job? I, the resumes are out there everywhere. You know, you, you work hard, you do what you have to do. I mean, you don't sit back in your house and say, God's going you, know, you can't be like Cousin Eddie on National Lampoon Vacation. You know? 
when Chevy Chase was like, he'd been out of work for 15 years, he couldn't get a job. And she says, well, you know, his wife says he's holding out for a management position. Uh, you, you can't be like that. You got to get out there and you got to work. And sometimes you got to do things you wouldn't want to do. But if that's what you got to do, you do what you got to do. But there are times when, no, the bills aren't going to get paid. And no, you're, you're not going to be able to get this or to go do that. Now, that can either wreck everything or you can settle in and say, you know what, God? None of that is our provision. None of that is what you are our source. You are our provider. And there's something you're trying to teach us in this. And there was. And we both came out of that with a very strong lesson from the Lord in that adversity, in that pain, and in that suffering. So, don't twist the word of God to meet your desires. All right. Last three verses, 8 through 11. Probably, probably my favorite because you got to think about it now. The devil is hitting with, you know, hey, I know you're hungry, so just go ahead and get something to eat. You're the son of God for crying out loud. God doesn't want you to starve to death. That didn't work. So then Satan comes back and says, okay, you want to talk about the word of God? Let me give you the word of God. The God, word of God says he's going to protect you, so just jump off of this cliff. And Jesus said, nope, not going to do that because the word also says don't test the Lord. So then he comes with the ultimate, which I would argue for everybody living in America is the greatest temptation. He offers Jesus everything this world has to offer. All the riches, all the notoriety, all the fame, all the things. Do you want things, Jesus? I can give you things beyond your wildest desires. Do you desire riches? I can give you more money than any single kingdom in this world has to offer. I can give you the money they all have put together and more. You want notoriety? Oh, Jesus. I can make sure that the likes on your Insta just go through the roof. I can take you to the moon and back. Fame? Oh, I can give that to you as well. See, it's all in my hand. I own this world. This world belongs to me. It bends to my knee and to my command, and I can give you everything that it has to offer. And then finally, Jesus has enough. And he says, no. He says, get away from here because the word clearly says you will worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Serve him only. This is the thing about Satan, about our, our adversary, is that he entices us to serve anything but God. Anything but God. It's, it's like it's like a snare. It's like a trap. He is always out there. He's after your heart. And the trap is always baited. He can bait it with your appetite for food. He can bait it with your desire for popularity, needing to constantly be entertained, desire to have power, prestige, influence, riches, or maybe just your desire to be numb or to escape the hardness of this life. There's always some bait, and it's always enticing. I think that's one of the biggest ones, especially as things get crazier in the world, is, hey, just check out for a little bit, man. Just, just drink this or take that and just numb out for a little. Give yourself a break. It seems so subtle. It seems so innocent. But I promise you, in the end, what he's after is he wants to capture that heart. That's what he's after. Anything but God in that place. So my question for you is, has your heart been captured? And my answer, if you would say yes... And I'll just tell you for me, yes. So I'm just going to raise my hand for everybody. How about that? Yeah. 
our hearts have been captured. Well, the good news is that's exactly what 21 days of prayer and fasting is designed to do. 21 days of prayer and fasting is designed to, to open that trap, to set your heart free, to break whatever the hold that the enemy might have on you. So here's what we're going to do. The band's going to come up, and we're going to go through that song that we sang in the beginning. I think it was called Trust in God. But while they're coming, I want to go over some categories for you. And here, this is going to kind of be um, sort of a way to identify maybe something that has captured your heart. But then it's also going to be a way to identify maybe what it is that you need to be fasting during this 21 days of prayer and fasting. And again, we're not saying that everybody in here is going to fast for all 21 days, okay? What we all are asking you to do is to do something for some amount of time during that 21 days. Do something that, that breaks any stronghold that the enemy might have on you. So, so here would be some things. It could be your food. So if you're going to fast, you could do a complete fast. Please take note in that sheet that be careful with that. Some people have medical conditions, and that, that's not an option for you. So if you're going to do that, you need to be very careful about it. All of us can fast junk food, it. and sugar. Now, I say that, but if I was to say, hey, how many of you want to get on the train with me and fast sugar? Probably everybody in here raise your hand. Let me tell you, man, that ain't easy. Go home and open up your cupboard and start reading the labels. Go read your can of daggone French cut green beans. Sugar. Dude, there's sugar in everything. Why? It's designed that way. Now, food engineers are not sitting in the bellies of hell trying to figure out a way to drag you down to hell, right? But what they are doing is they get this idea. I don't know where it would come from. Just an idea. Hey, you know what happens in the body when the body detects sugar? Like, they don't even have to taste it. You don't taste sugar when you eat green beans. They don't have to taste it. But their body knows it's there. You know what happens? Their body begins to crave it. And now they want our green beans. Because our green beans taste better than those green beans. It's everywhere. So, food. You could do that. So, as I'm going through these... Just register in yourself, what would, what, how hard would it be for me to stop that for 21 days? And it might be a clue to you as to what you need to fast. How about drinks? Sodas? Energy drinks to everyone 25 years and younger? We all drink them. But man, that young crowd, boy, they consume the fire out of them things. Alcohol? All these things. What would it be like if you just, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to make sure. I don't, I don't think it has a hold on me, but I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and give it up for 21 days, see how it goes. If you wake up the next day and, and your coworkers are like, dude, are you demon-possessed? Like, well, do we need to call an exorcist? What's going on? Then you know there's something got a little bit of a hold on your heart right there. How about electronics? TVs, computers, your phone. Now, I know you got to use your phone to call people, right? And, yes, text. But how about we dial the texting down a little bit? Okay, and I'll throw my family under the bus. We got a family text message. Sometimes, Lordy Jesus, I, I, I know all my family have jobs. I know they all have jobs. But there's sometimes that phone's like ding, 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 ding. I'm like, what in the world? Like, he ain't even had time to read it yet. But there's a lot of other stuff on our phones that we could do without. Social media. How about gaming? Ooh. Ooh, I saw a lot of guys just now break eye contact. 
Eddie, that's probably, I don't think that's the same thing. I'm honing and sharpening my skills, my hand-eye coordination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll let you discuss that with God. You just have that conversation with him. It's funny, I think it was either three or four years ago, I can't remember how long, my wife said, you know what, I'm going to fast Facebook. So she did it for 21 days. She did not open her Facebook. You know what she did on day 22? Deleted it. Deleted it. Never opened it again. So she don't have a Facebook page. Facebook's got some good stuff on it. I get it. Family pictures. and But, you know, there's a lot of stuff on there I just don't want to see. There's a lot of stuff about people that I know that I just really don't want to know. You know? I mean, that's my thing. Is sometimes people just, just tend to throw their whole life up on Facebook. And I, I just don't want to know all that kind of stuff. And there's some stuff on there that can get you a little bit fired up. How about this? Habits and routines. Mm, I heard that. Somebody here's like, mm. What do I mean by habits and routines? Nothing wrong with habits and routines at all. Unless if when they don't happen, you get all bent out of shape. If that happens, now you know something's got a hold of your heart. You know, when I first got saved, I had a radical salvation. I was obnoxiously saved, full of joy, full of kindness, full of happiness, full of love. And I wasn't coming to church when I first got saved. So it was about two to three weeks before I found out about cathedral and actually started coming to church. And I found out that little habit routine thing had a hold of my heart. Because, see, for me, I'm a 9 o'clocker, all right? On time means we're here 15, 10 minutes early. We're good. We're on time. My wife's an 11 o'clocker. That means if you arrive any time between 10.55 and 11.05, 11.10, you're good. You're on time. So Wednesday nights were not a problem. We go to church every Wednesday night, but we drove separately because we both worked down here in Charleston. We lived out in the country, worked in Charleston. We drove separately. So I'd get there. I knew she'd be there you know, sooner or later. 11 o'clock, we got to ride together. And I'll never forget that, man. I'll never forget the first time we walked in and we were late. I could tell we were going to be late because it was about a 40-minute drive in. So I could tell we were going to be, so I'm getting all tense. And, you know, Mr. Happy, full of love and joy and obnoxiously saved is getting angry. Driving in, I'm quiet. You know, why are you so quiet? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. You all right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. I just need to get to church. Then we get in the parking lot and I can hear the music's already started. Oh, oh, oh. A demon straight from the pits of hell latches onto my shoulder and is riding me like a bucking bronco. Get angry, man. Angry. Get mad. And I was, oh, man, it just shot me to the moon. But thank God, I've got a wife that she was like, well, yeah, that's your problem. You need, to, you need to work on that. She didn't go, oh, my gosh, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I promise I'll never do it again. I promise. She was like, we're a little bit late. What's the big deal? The song just started. What's the big deal? Oh, it's a big deal. The presence of God has gone. It has left the building. All these people in here are not going to get saved today because we were late. And I'm telling y'all, man, it took, and I remember I got so mad, and I didn't immediately see that, I, I'm going I'm to be honest. I was so mad at Susan, I was like, how could you be late for church? I'd get so mad. And that was my quiet time one morning, and the Lord just whispered and said, she's right, you know. She don't have a problem. She, she can come in there a little bit late. She, she's not thinking that I'm mad at her. She's not thinking I'm judging her. She's not thinking any of this goofy mess you think. You got a problem. You got some control issues. You're happy-go-lucky, Mr. On Fire for Jesus, spreading the love of Jesus as long as it goes the way you want. 
Whoo, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. A couple of y'all felt that right there. That's exactly how I felt. So that's what I mean when I say habits and routine. So here's what we're going to do. These guys are going to sing through a portion of that song. And you can sing along, but that's not really what this is designed to do. What this is designed to do is we're going to keep that list up on the screen. Because as they're singing, I want you to honestly, well, I tell you what, I'm going to pray and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. But I want you to pay attention and get out a piece of paper or something, write it down. Get out your phone. I'm going to give you permissions to get your phone out. Open up a note. So if you're sitting next to somebody with a cell phone, don't start judging them because they got their cell phone out. They're taking notes. Get yourself a note and really let the Lord speak to you and say, this is what I want you to stop for these 21 days. And don't, don't go overboard. Don't be, I, everything on that list. I'm not eating. I'm not drinking. I'm not answering my phone. I'm not doing nothing. I'm going out into the wilderness for 20. Okay. If you're led to, fine. I, I can't say don't do that if God speaks to you. Um, but if you're married and he speaks to you, you better ask your daggone wife or husband before you do. Especially if you just had children. Lord, I, honey, I believe the Lord wants me to go away for 21 days. You and the baby be all right, right? Don't get crazy with it. So while they're singing through this song, let's just really let the Holy Spirit speak to us. If you would, just bow your heads for a moment. Close your eyes. And then again, you, you can participate in the song if you get to that place and you want to. I'm not saying don't do that. What I am saying is just don't jump the gun. Just really sit there and let the Lord speak to your heart. So, Father, right now we do. We just come before you. And, Lord, all of us, we know that there are things that have captured our hearts because we know the enemy is incessant and he never gives up. So even things that maybe we were set free from years ago has crept back in. And so for all of us, we sit here this morning and all of us want to be free. We don't, any, we don't want anything any object or anything or any desire to take away from our heart for you. We want you to have our whole heart. So as the music team sings through this song, Holy Spirit, would you just reveal to us what we need to consider giving up for these 21 days? Show us anywhere, Lord, where our hearts have been taken captive. And show us how we can lean into you for 21 days, how we can put our faith and our trust in you and how we can allow your Holy Spirit to give us the strength to deny ourselves of these desires, these things that we love so much and to take that energy and that time and that focus and rededicate it back to you. We give you these next few moments in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yes. Stand to your feet if you would. Let me give you a little practical advice as you head out. For some of you, I, I, again, I know you're very familiar with 21 days of prayer and fasting. You know what all that's about. For some of you, this may be fairly new or brand new. Let me encourage you with this. Whatever it was you chose to give up, you get up and you start doing it. You can start tomorrow. You can start Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever. You just go ahead and decide when you're going to start it. When you give that thing up, the devil is going to come. Sometimes it's the devil. Sometimes it's just your own body. Like when you've got something that's just been so strongly rooted and grounded, it doesn't just lay down and say, okay. It's going to want to keep doing what it's always done. The first time, if you give in to it, two days in, three days in, whatever, don't quit. Don't quit. The beautiful thing about God says his mercies are brand new every day. 
He said, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So when you fail, just say, oh, man, God, I'm sorry. Look at it just like you would when you were teaching your kids how to ride a bike. You know, you get them out there, you take the training wheels off, and you get right beside them, and you get that bike going, and you let go, and that thing's, and you see it, you, you know what's going to happen, right? And boom, they crash, and they go down, and you can see it on their face. You can see the fear in their eyes. You can almost read their mind, and they're thinking, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. What do you do? You say, oh, get back up, hop up, hop up, hop Here, get back on the bike. I got you. I got you. Here, let's go again. You might have to do it two times, three times, four, but there's going to come a time when you let go, and man, they just take off. So let God do that for you. If you fail at it, whatever it is, don't quit. Don't say, I'll try again next year. Pick it right back up that day or the next day, whenever. Don't stop. Don't quit. And know that God is cheering you on. He's not sitting back going, I knew it. I knew you couldn't do it. I knew you loved that thing more than you loved. No, that's not what he's doing. He knows your heart is captured. And he knows sometimes, man, to break that thing free, it takes a time or two. So let God teach you how to ride that bike during this 21 days of prayer and fasting. Amen. Lord bless you. Hey, have a great Sunday today. Have a great week next week. And we will see you Wednesday night, Wednesday night for our first uh, worship service. And don't come tomorrow morning because we won't be here. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.